You're listening to BQN. Assimilate the audio. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of All Good Things, a Star Trek Universe podcast here on BQN and the Fandom Podcast Network. I'm your host, Kelvin, and with me today, it's the full house again. We've got Amy, Christos, and Mark. Hello, hello, hello. Feel free to say whatever you want this week. How are you, Amy? <laughs> I'm doing good. <clears throat> How's everyone? It's this a busy time of year. It's already, yeah, going. Yeah, I, yeah, I can't believe it's December third already, and um, wow, just the whole year's flown by. But yeah, we went right from Thanksgiving to Christmas parties. It's it's here. And how about you, Mark? Have you started the festive shenanigans yet? <laughs> no. Nope. <laughs> Humbug. Absolutely not. Not nope. Not even humbug. Uh, I just I can't. Uh, my entire life is on pause with everything. Uh, I can't spend a dime because you know we're sort of Andy and I are still like in the home buying process here. So I don't know if in a couple of weeks I'm going to be moving or not moving. Uh, so I can't buy a tree. Uh, as far as Christmas shopping, everybody knows this year I can't do anything because every, my money is all tied up in maybe possibly buying a house. I don't know. So hopefully in a couple of weeks, I'll be really broke because if all of a sudden I have a bunch of money, well, <laughs> it oh. just means that I'll be living in this uh, shitty apartment for another year. Oh, well, so Christmas comes every year, so it'll be a sacrifice that's well worth it, I'm sure, to get you nice forever home. Yeah, fingers crossed. Fingers yeah, crossed. Yeah, no, I know it takes a lot of money to move too. I mean, you mm. just the idea of moving the it it boxes, moving vans, all that stuff. You you have to have, and then of course, setting up a new place too takes money. <laughs> yeah, but I have I have a friend of mine that told me a couple of days ago that um, you know if the reverse happens and we don't end up you know getting a house, which is you know, it's a possibility. Everything could fall apart at the end. We don't know. So it's like we're just not talking about it. But, um, you know, hopefully everything works. But if it doesn't, I'm going to take some money and I'm going to get myself a new iPad. <laughs> I'm going to treat myself. <laughs> like I won't have a house, but I want to get a new iPad. So yeah. it'll be a little salve in the wound. <laughs> yeah. So so are you in escrow on a place? Uh, I'm just going to I'm just going to not talk about it okay <laughs> i don't want to jinx okay. anything all right i understand <laughs> i understand that completely i was about three years ago i was exactly in the same place at this very time and i was the same way so okay i understand <laughs> fingers oh, and toes crossed <laughs> It's quite Christmassy in itself, that little jingle. It isn't is, it? <laughs> yes. And no Obvious. one does it better than Marina. <laughs> I know. It's about a week too long, but it's uh, still yeah, very it's festive. A little, a little long in the tooth there. 
<laughs> so, uh, listeners, we are going to continue with this, our new feature, uh, where we just give a little shout out to anything in the world of Trek that has brought us a little bit of personal joy or put a smile on our face this week. So uh, I'll, I'll kick off myself, if we may. We got the news overnight uh, of the new start date for Discovery Season 5, which is going to be in April 2024. And we got a new cast photo as well, uh, showing all of the, the team together for the final season. So that's nice that it's now known. And it's a, it's a little bit later than we probably wanted, but... We're going to have to ration our Star Trek out yeah. a little bit now, aren't we, for the uh, next several months? So I, I'm not too down about it. I'm still happy that it's uh, is going ahead. So that's me, yeah. uh, the Discovery News. Yeah, I I saw that late yesterday, and I was got, got me really excited too. Um, but yeah, it's about five months away, and we've already had like about a month of no Star Trek, probably since Lower Decks. And maybe, maybe Netflix will start season two of Prodigy earlier than that, and we'll have more new Star Trek sooner. Mm. Yeah. Did anybody else yeah. notice too the cast photo? It's while exciting as it was to see it, I'm like, where's Detmer and, and gang? There's always, you know, they're they're always. There's no gold shirts, are there? Yeah, I know. I'm like, I'm like, come on, man. You got new, you got new cast members in there, but you don't have Detmer and, yeah. Anyway, yeah. But I'm excited. And what about yourself, Mark? What have you been grateful for in the world of Star Trek this week? Oh, I just gotta be uh, happy for my good friend uh, Captain Jeremiah, who his little short that he did, a uh, little stop motion short he made. Uh, I guess was picked up and used by Netflix for like an ad uh, for Prodigy coming to Netflix. And uh, there was also an article about it in Screen Rant. And so Captain Jeremiah Brown of the Captain's Couch here in BQN, uh, quite a bit of publicity. And he is uh, just a dear human. And I don't think it could happen to a better person. So I'm really excited for him. Well, that lovely thing to say, and very, very true as well. Yeah, I think we're all delighted, and it's really cool as well with the the little prodigy action figures on the bridge. It's a great shot. Yeah, he's so talented with what he does. I just it surprises me every time how well done they are. <laughs> yeah, anyone who's done stop frame animation in the past knows it's you have to have the patience of a saint to do it. It takes so long. So all credit to him. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And what about yourself, Amy? What's put a smile on you this week? Well, um, last night I attended a little holiday party with some teacher friends and we did a gift exchange. And the one uh, gift I got was the Women of Star Trek shirt, which I am wearing today. But I mean, of course, they all know I love Star Trek. But what was even more fantastic is she's like, I went through all your Star Trek photos to see if you had this shirt because I didn't want to give you one that you already had. I'm like, what? Well, how thoughtful. And she's like, I didn't see it. So do you have it? And I'm like, no, I don't have it. So the thought that went into this is just above and beyond and even more dear to me than the actual shirt. It is a lovely shirt, I must admit. So who's it got on it? I can see Troy, Seven of Nine, Uhura. Uh, uh, Dax and Janeway. Wow. Love yeah. it. Missing a certain doctor. Yeah. 
Yeah. I've actually seen that shirt before and passed on it because of that reason. Right. Yeah. But it looks you... lovely on you, Amy. I bet if you turn around, it's got Pulaski on the back. <laughs> Speaking of which, I got I got my new Star Trek Explorer this week, and it's all about Pulaski. I'm like, yes. Mm. <laughs> There's a whole article on the character and a whole car- article on the actress. It's it's pretty. It's in depth. Probably if you're if you're a fan, it's don't miss that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And Christos, what have you been um, celebrating in Star Trek this week? So I'm going to give you like a double fold of great joy and gratitude. Um, first off, speaking of great joy and gratitude, some really good friends of mine, um, they have an annual holiday party every year. It's called Frost and Flannel. And of course, you wear flannel and get drunk and all that stuff. But it's actually always for a really good cause. You basically, they they sponsor and put on the whole party, and but you sponsor a kid and buy them everything, you know, but you go onto Amazon and get their Christmas wish list and buy them things. So it's a great, you know, just enjoying, like, you know, like I said, a way to show your gratitude for what you have. But I was at this party last night and just casually talking around and was introduced to a guy named Glenn Hermans who is an actor and actually just found his IMDb page. But anyways, uh, he's worked, uh, he worked for several days as an extra on First Contact, the movie, and was telling me some stories. And he met Jonathan Frakes and was directed by, and I believe he is a Starfleet extra. So a little bit of research to do after we're done today. Ooh, so yeah, that was let, a re- us, let us know which scenes he's in once you've watched him, found him. Yeah, yeah, but it's really just kind of really cool, random thing to be at a party, you know, twenty five years plus later, and and yeah. meet meet somebody who's uh, literally been on Trek. That's so cool. Yeah. I love that. Excellent. Well, listeners, this week as we've approached a lovely milestone episode, one fifty, nice round number. Um, we have much to discuss as said Worf, as we are continuing with our Shore Leave Part 4, and we're going to look at the Deep Space Nine episode, He Who Is Without Sin. Uh, Previously covered, we've covered the original series Shore Leave, Enterprise, Two Days and Two Nights, and Lower Decks, Wejdu. So, Mark, would you like to give us a little synopsis of what happens in this episode, please? Uh, Worf's a dick. No, uh, done. Worf, <laughs> Worf, and done. <laughs> Worf and Dax uh, take a vacation to Ryza with Quark. Okay, that was the redeeming moment here in the whole mo- in the whole episode uh, when Quark appeared on the runabout. I was like, oh yes, <laughs> some in- some injection of some levity. Uh, so they're going to Ryza. Quark's on board. Lita and Bashir tagging along, uh, but it's not all Jamaharon on the pre- pleasure planet. As the couples have relationship problems to address, meanwhile, Ryza itself has its hands full with a protest group called the New Essentialists. Ascension, ascen, essentialists? No? You got it right. Hey, first you time. got it. Yeah. You, you got it. Okay. Well, there we go. <laughs> Fabulous. Thank you, Mark. So we're, let's take a dive on some of the themes and let's start with Riser itself. What better thing to talk about in our Shore Leave series than probably the undisputed holiday destination in all of Star Trek, um, Riser. So it's deemed the pleasure planet. And I'm just 
curious have any of us been on like those kind of holidays before where it's kind of you know it's all about uh filth and a bit of debauchery you know maybe right. it's a, an 1830s or amy's looking like she might have been on a few cruises like that <laughs> i was about to say isn't that the, the definition of star trek cruise but I don't think it's all debauchery. I mean, their saying is, what's mine is yours. Is that sort of the thing? All that is ours is yours. Yeah. So um, it doesn't have to be debauchery. I mean, the fact that pleasure can mean that, but I mean, there's other ways to have pleasure than go that far sexual sensual route oh amy i love you only you could think that this means about offering food and <laughs> art and crafts come on they're basically saying if you want it we'll give it to you yes. christos so i've been on some trips including down to puerto vallarta or say key west and whatnot where yes you're you know it's uh it's a lot more free and open and you're you know staying at like you know i've stayed at like you know gay men's clothing optional type places and yes it's very riza-esque it's a lot of things go it's a lot very free it's a lot of you know it's very riza so without getting too explicit here on our podcast so but yes i and but you're in a bubble it's very much like you like when you enter into the places you're you are it feels like you are different rules apply to life and you get to suspend your day-to-day -day restrictions and so i have definitely experienced those environments where it is just like oh i'm on vacation and i get to go do something else and be more free with myself i love that i think the way you've described it though is spot on uh, you guys know i go for my annual little trip to barcelona to sitches which is a, a a gay resort uh in itself and it is I go with a gang of about 25 guys and a lot goes on. <laughs> uh, I'll leave it there to draw your own conclusions. But it is what you say, Christos, you're in this little bubble. You're away from your usual responsibilities, stress, drama. And it does cause you to maybe indulge in some behaviours that you wouldn't normally at home in everyday life. So yeah what about you mark have you ever been on any kind of holiday like this well i mean i'm thinking about like in my uh early 20s like i used to live in south florida and so that was sort of like i lived on risa so wow. I, I i had those experiences then but i want to talk about a particular experience i had sort of just a few years back um with one of my uh very best friends um his name is hunter and um him and i just took a trip to, uh, to Mexico. It was my first time uh, down there. We went to Cabo San Lucas. And it wasn't that we like engaged in debauchery or anything. It was just that it was a very free and loose trip without plans. Like we just, you know, we woke up when we wanted to. We did what we wanted to. We tried different food that I'd never had before, which is very exciting to me. Like I'm like, oh, I've never had this before. So I want to try, try that, especially like it's a local cuisine um and then you know i'm afraid of heights so we went and did like the zip line thing across you know one of the canyons uh and it scared the crap out of me but it was it was a thrill to go outside of my own comfort zone to try new things to laugh until i couldn't laugh anymore uh with my friend hunter who's hilarious 
And uh, I don't know. It's just one of my favorite life trips. Um, and yeah, like I said, it, no debauchery really was involved, but it was just like we still had um, like that party vibe of just like we're just going to have fun. We're just going to do things that we enjoy doing. And so for me, that was a blast. It was a, a life highlight. Yeah. Is this, the, is this the same guy you previously told us about who you really enjoyed that zip line and you were wrapped around him for dear oh, life? Yes, yes, exactly. I had my legs completely wrapped around him. My eyes were squinted almost closed for like the first few. But then as the day progressed, I started slowly opening my eyes a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So when you think of Starfleet and Star Trek... You know, it, it's all a little serious, isn't it? There's there's space battles, there's wars, there's moral problems going on. So yeah. for our heroes and characters to go to Risa is much like what we've just said of, you know, you do free yourself and become a little less inhibited and have fun. So do we think Risa is a bad idea? Is it a bad influence on wholesome Starfleet officers? Or is it good to release your inhibitions? Christos. Yeah. yeah, I, this is, and this is, my answer to this is going to be why I fundamentally have a problem with this episode, because Rise is just a vacation place, right? So, you know, you're running around, let's say, any DS9 is a, a space station, but let's just say, you know, Starfleet, Starships, we like take Next Generation, for example. You're in a very, you know, sterile militaristic in a sense you know chain of command type environment and yeah at the end of the day just like anything else you want to go on vacation and you want to go away and let's face it it's not quite the holiday holodeck doesn't quite cut it you know what i mean you're still you might be in a little bit of a bubble but you're not free and clear so going away for you know five days seven days whatever to a place where you can remove yourself from that you know chain of command environment and just kind of really let your guard down and relax. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think it's actually healthy. I also agree that it's healthy to release your inhibitions. Plus it's a different way for you to grow as a person. Like Mark was saying, he pushed himself to go on that zip line because it was a fear, like growing as an individual. It's a place that you can't live there forever. Otherwise, everywhere would be Risa. It's they have the technology. Why not create more rises? Because it is a temporary fix status yeah. to life. I mean, I I just there's got to be a balance in all things. And if like with Worf, if you're all Worf, then woohoo. Um <laughs> all right. Okay. <laughs> Wow. Sorry. <laughs> Listeners, we're we're just talking here. Amy's talking and a bunch of balloons just came up over my head. What did you do with your hand? I, I was just gonna talk after you. That's all. Uh, yeah, I, I know. And it <laughs> triggered something. You'll Christoph, okay. your, your gesticulations are causing yeah. Mary Havoc. <laughs> um Amy, I'll, you're like you're saying it's spot on. Like I I lived in Hawaii for 18 years. And when I first moved there, of course, it's the pleasure place. It's it's the most beautiful place. It's awesome. You know, it's it's a vacation dream for so many people. But I lived there for 18 years. And when you're going through school and then you get into your career and you've got a job, it's just like any other place in some ways. You have your day and it loses it some of that magic of, you know, like, it's like you know, I love going down to Key West. I love going to Puerto Vallarta. I don't want to live there, though. Because I don't ever want to lose it. 
I go back and forth with Palm Springs, another place I love to go and decompress. And I, it feels a little magical to me. I could even move there if I kind of wanted to. It's not out of the realm of possibility based on where I am and what I do. But will it lose the magic if I if I move there? So you have to, like Amy was saying, it's a place of that you go to visit and it's never meant to be sustainable. It's never meant to be a place you live. It's just a place you go to. It sounds like we're all very disciplined if we have that level of, you know, being able to experience this joy, uh, like being in the nexus, like we described the cruise, but then yeah. being able to walk away from it. You know, I've seen a lot of people who kind of get a little bit obsessed with that kind of lifestyle and, you know, overdo it to the detriment of the relationships, their job, etc. So the fact we can enjoy these excesses uh, for that, that week, that two week of the year and then walk away, I think it shows great restraint. So we've, this is not the first time we've seen Risa. We have seen Risa on uh, TNG in Captain's Holiday and The Game, and we will again see Risa in Enterprise Two Days and Two Nights, which is an episode already covered. I just wanted to ask the question, where do you think Risa was best depicted out of the visits that we've had there in Star Trek? Do you think it's in this episode or in Enterprise or in the TNG ones? I'm curious. Lower Decks. Oh, when did Lower Decks go to Risa? I've missed that one. Well, they had a, a Ryzen uh, district at one of the planets that they went to. And I think you got more of the vibe of what Ryza was because they were able to, you know, they, it's a cartoon. So they can really fulfill the whole district with just all kinds of different aliens and all kinds of different experiences that they could have. And so uh, I liked it there because it just felt a little more... Um, filled out right yeah because even here it's like you get these sort of close shots and you can kind of see that there's like a beach in the background and what have you but you don't get these wide expansive shots of like all of this stuff happening and uh like i said when they went to that ryzen district on whatever planet in lower decks um you could see all of these different shops and all of these different experiences that these people visiting that that district could participate in so i thought that was really well done we really clever yeah yeah i'm gonna follow up and say i think the enterprise one just for that exact same reason mark that you were saying like we get different experiences with our different characters right hoshi's experience was completely different than the debauchery of what uh the boys wanted to get into you know and then they got kidnapped and blah 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 but like you're seeing different experiences and i think the more filled out a place is the more believable and realistic so i think yeah, Enterprise did it best. Oh, yeah. they get some eye candy in that episode. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'll always love Captain's Holiday for introducing it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, to Amy's point, whenever you see something and you get more of the backstory, especially when we get backstory in-universe, so often things get fleshed out for us in novels and things later, and that's where you find it out. But for Star Trek uh, in production to, over the course of several years, give us more and more and more background on this place. That's pretty cool. So it's, I think it's, I, don't, I like, I like them all, but like, I love this one too. We, we learned about the fortification nets. We learned about why it's actually a moderated place and it's not naturally that. It's kind of a terraformed planet in some ways mm -hmm. um, to be what it is, but 
for me, that just made it a little bit more holodecky, but that's that's cool. To me, I got kind of, and, and I hope you don't take offense, Amy, but almost like the Vegas vibe of, uh. you know, very, very manufactured, artificial, pumping in the oxygen, yes. uh, keeping the party going. That was kind of what I gleaned from the weather modification aspect to it. So, yeah, which is something we all love. Yeah, I, I felt right at home watching that episode. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so from the pleasure planet itself, um, let's take a look at another theme of this episode, which is the relationship between Worf and Jadzia. So clearly this is early on. They'd only recently got together and they're experiencing the kind of the culture clash and the differences between them. But so a little bit wider than the episode itself, I'm just keen for a like, show of hands. You know, are we a fan of the shipping of Dax and Worf in Deep Space Nine? Do we think they're a good pairing? Who wants to start us off? I think they you know were, my answer. <laughs> they were a great pairing. Uh, that was one of the best things to happen about Worf joining Deep Space Nine. I feel like he was trying to find his footing, like especially that first season he was on. But when they stuck the two of them together, it just made somehow it just made perfect sense. And I thought it made both the characters a little bit more interesting. Um, yeah, I, I just loved I loved the shipping there. I also really like Worf and Jadzia in part because of Worf and Troy, which I have said that I enjoy that relationship because of those opposites attract. And, you know, I think this is sort of the first time that Worf has even considered a non-Klingon, right? Because he had Kalar before who's, you know, Klingon. So for him to have this experience with Troy and then leave and then go to Deep Space Nine, I think really prepared him for the relationship that he has with Jadzia to make it successful in whatever world successful means in their relationship. How about you, Christos? I think, I think they're great together. I think Jadzia being a trill and her background and all the different lives she's led and, you know, her relationship to the Klingon heritage and Klingon knowledge, it makes it, and, and her just being kind of badass. I mean, they don't let you never, never judge a book by its cover because with Jadzia, you're getting a whole lot more than the cover. Right. So I think that, makes her ideally suited uh for for wharf what i will say is that it does i think poke a hole back into the wharf and troy thing because we're seeing that like i don't know that troy would have survived the sexual escapades that are kind of alluded to you know with jadzia and and wharf i don't think had that i don't think that would have been a thing for troy and wharf and i think if you know although yeah i i although i think wharf and Troy might have been better. I think he would have been less jealous of Troy. But I also think that Troy wouldn't have been able to be all the things that he would want in a relationship physically. I mean, we did see his jealousy come out-ish um, with him being angry at Riker, right? Yeah. All good things. Mm -hmm. um, so there's that thread. Um, so, yeah, I don't think Troy could have, you know, like you were saying, held up to the sexual escapades well that's not troy right yeah, yeah. yeah so but i mean it just opened up wharf to be accepting of jadzia um and then as you were talking and as i was thinking 
it does great for Worf's character. Does it improve Jadzia's character? Because she pushes him. Does he push her? Does she grow as a character? Is she better because she's with Worf? Well, Mark, you, you said you think it was great for both of the characters. So, I mean, that might be a question for you to answer. What, from your opinion, how does Jadzia grow as a character on Deep Space Nine once she's with Worf? Uh, well, what I noticed is, like, especially at the the first few seasons, like, they kept trying to pair uh, or have her bounce off Julian or, like, will they, won't they kind of thing. And I never really liked that. And I'm not sure if they went, I don't remember there being, like, another character they tried to pair her with. Um but all of a sudden, especially with her Klingon background and knowledge and, you know, her trill symbiote used to be linked joined with a Klingon. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like it just sort of made sense there. Uh, then her interactions, you know, with other Klingons when they would come on board the station and be like, Oh, you know, uh, my old friend or whatever, you know, um, I, I don't know. We I think that it was a good, uh, a good pairing. It made sense that she would end up with a Klingon. I think it, it was sort of, alluded to that early on and then when Worf came on I was like oh yeah yeah this yeah. this is what works yeah although I believe that we're always learning Jadzia has led several lifetimes right and she's a much much more graduated person than any one of us could be or anybody in in we see in her in her universe that lives a quote-unquote normal lifespan right so Compared to Worf, Worf is a child compared to Jadzia in his life experience and whatnot. So I do think it's Worf that needs to actually grow more into that relationship. And Jadzia is very sure of herself and she knows who she is and she's firm in that. And that's why she's not afraid to talk to ex-lovers and whatnot because she, she's got her compass and she knows who she is. So mm -hmm. Worf is the one that needs to get past his more, you know, juvenile crap and that's not a dig on Worf because you know we're probably all around the same age that Worf would be in that you know what I mean so it's mm -hmm. like and I don't claim to know it all but someone like Jedzia who's hundreds and hundreds of years old and has that experience yeah she would be very mature in that relationship and he would be immature yeah. so I I'm taking a sip of tea um and i mean i find it interesting that you kind of all three of you have gone in a similar direction there that you actually enjoy the relationship i really don't this is very polarizing for me because it is a relationship between my favorite character in all of star trek and my least favorite character in all of star trek mm. so... i thought that was quark <laughs> no it's really not i like quark oh, okay I just know you don't I, like Ferengis. I don't like Ferengi episodes. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't dislike any Ferengi individuals. Okay. Um, yeah, I adore Jadzia Dax. Always have done. She's everything. She taught me everything about fantastic. You know, just putting women in such a high esteem of you know the best qualities of being being the smart one, the sexy one, in charge just as good if not better than her male counterparts and and that's kind of regardless of the 
kind of the modern lens of looking as 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 Dax as a queer character, which we tend to do these days because of the the gender swaps between hosts. She's just always been my favourite. Worf, uh, which I've said before, is always the character that I just wouldn't want to spend any time with him because as a, a gay guy, it would make me feel very internalised homophobia of not being masculine enough, not being a warrior. Everything's got to be about fighting. Um, and I just, he makes me uncomfortable as a character. So to put these two together, I will start by saying I agree with you all that this was good for Worf. You know, how much of season four was Worf just kind of wandering around and, you know, what the, what even is a strategic operations officer? You can't, you're either strategic or you're operational. You can't be both. It doesn't make sense. So they didn't know what to do with him. To put him with Dax, it was great in that regard. And it could have been good for Dax, because you're right, she has all this history with Korkang and Koloth in Blood Oath and everything else, Klingon. So she would really have buzzed off him and, and really gone down a, a great route. But I just feel, and this is probably the writing, she just became Mrs. Worf. And she lost a lot of the shine and sparkle that made her amazing now not in this episode in this episode she was really giving it what for which i loved but if you will kind of indulge me i just want to comment on a number of what i see as red flags that were displayed in this episode that we all look for in relationships uh and i thought there was a lot of toxicity to wharf um in in what he, i'm not going to go as far to say it was domestic psychological abuse however if someone is exposed to these traits over a prolonged period it's a really bad relationship so first things first i always noted that everything had to be about klingons cling on this cling on that you're not a klingon woman you would never do that when did Worf ever show any interest in trill culture and society i mean he even didn't do a very good job of the reassociation rule because he bedded esri afterwards so that was a really big no-no so it was all everything was on his terms it was all about jadzia fitting into a klingon lifestyle um and then there's just other smaller character traits the the jealousy over her having lunch with captain Baudet, uh isolating her from her friends so the the his behavior on the runabout when he said coming about setting course for deep space nine trying to put that break the bond between Dax and Julian and Quark and Lita by him being the bad guy uh, it was really embarrassing to her and she would have been really traumatized by that the judgmental behavior of Lita and Bashir you know as he never encountered anyone in an open relationship before you know these things are normalized these days uh, and then horrified when he finds Jadzia and Arandis stroking a piece of pottery you know they were hardly at it were they what's what's it was just so over the top so that's my kind of rant if it's not too strong a word of i just think there are some really bad toxic behaviors here in this relationship and if i was jadzia i would have run a mile well i think that was a pretty good breakdown um yeah you bring up a lot of things that i was noticing first off it is a lot of writing, especially in this particular episode. It's They had this idea to bring this religious zealot kind of aspect into uh, 
rise of the rise of story and whatnot and they needed a main character to kind of get on board so they radicalized Worf, and to a point that i didn't even believe it anymore i mean Worf is going to sabotage a federation planet their their yeah, weather really and, and their weather and hand that technology over to them to re- zealots and whatnot and extremists and um i mean Worf could have and maybe should have been court-martialed for his actions in this episode i'm sorry i'm like and since when does mr honor mr by the book suddenly instantly in the course of like a 40-minute episode become completely okay with sabotage and breaking the rules to make his point um i mean people could have died in that they people you know that just starts raining really bad like people could have been out hiking and got flooded out they're causing earthquakes I mean, people could have died because of Worf's actions in this episode. And because it boils down to him having a tip with Jadzia, I just feel like that is a just fundamental problem with this episode. Now, you make some good points that go across the whole relationship of Worf and Jadzia. And you're right. It did water down her character for the rest of her run on DS9. Because whenever it was really about her, it was about Worf, like the things I have to do to get married and convince the house that I'm, you know, capable, you know, willing to do it. And it wasn't really about Jed Zia being this great scientist and, you know, skilled officer who did all these other things. Uh, it did, it did water her down, but it, it gave her something to do and it gave Worf something to do because up until this episode, Worf was the grumpy guy on DS9 complaining about everything. And yeah just like the disgruntled worker, but yeah. I, I know I that was have a general problem when writers take a female character and their only perceived storyline is to either marry them off or get them pregnant. It's like the, they, they don't see that women have so much more to contribute. Uh, and I think that is one of the hallmarks of Deep Space Nine not having any women writers in all of its cast. They, and and don't get me wrong, Kira and Jadzia are my two favourite characters in Star Trek, and they did a generally really good job with them. But just having that lack of feminine touch in the creative side of the process, I think they suffered a little. So you know how when you watch shows over and over again, and it depends on where you are in your life, when you're like, oh my gosh, I never noticed this before. So that happened with me watching this episode, um, specifically when Jadzia was talking to Worf, where she's like, you don't trust me. And he's like, well, I do trust you, but I don't trust Captain Bidet, you know? And I'm just like, okay, so then you don't trust me that I can handle a situation Mm -hmm. like Captain Bidet would, in your mind, you know, try to suggest. You don't trust me. That's what it comes down to. And I just, as I, you guys are so good to my support because, you know, I sent these random texts and I went on this date and then went on another date with this guy and we were having a really good time connecting, talking. Oh my gosh, so much fun. Um, But I'm 50 years old. I have a life. I have friends and some of those friends happen to be male. Um, so I was telling this guy, oh yeah, I met up with this friend who came in from out of town. He and I, da, da, da. And he's like, what? And just totally shut down, freaked out. And well, I don't want to be, uh, just some boy 
toy or something like that. And I'm just like, really? I said, I was telling you about this guy. Like I was coming up front saying, this is just a friend. And he totally freaked out, went all wharf on me. I don't trust him. Um, and yeah, okay, fine. That is not the person that I need. So like you're saying, Kelvin, like Jad Z is putting up with a lot. Um, and when I just heard her say, well, you don't trust me. And she continued on that. I'm like, preach on girl, because that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Absolutely. I think this is where some of the story and even in the nineties, probably this probably didn't age. It didn't probably go well, but it certainly hasn't aged well, you know, and then he's basically playing that in like 1950s, 1960s stereotypical male. And it's like, I know he's supposed to be a Klingon and with different rules, but he doesn't even, as Jed Sia points out, he's not even a real, he doesn't even act like a real Klingon. So he tries to have his cake and eat it too. I'm a Klingon, but I don't do all the things that Klingons do. I mean, Guinan's pointed this out to Worf before, and now Jed Zia pointing it out. You don't act like a Klingon. And I do like that we get a little bit of backstory about Worf and what happened to him as a child when he inadvertently accidentally killed somebody because of being Klingon and, mm -hmm. um, and how he has to restrain himself. But I don't think that quite adds up to the jealousy behavior. I don't think that excuses that. That's just like to Amy's point, not trusting your partner like Amy or Jadzia you're not strong enough to resist another man's advances. Yeah. Like you're lesser of a person. And it's just that it's that sexist type thing. And man, I love that I podcast with a bunch of feminists because that's really cool. And, and Amy should do you a, you should love that we support you so much. Here's but it of, is. Here's a group of men <laughs> saying how women should behave. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's like, I get mad. I have, I have family members that I look at as way too passive, way, not they don't stick up enough and they're in the, in the way that they behave in a relationship. It's too submissive. And it's like, no, you don't, what, what are you doing? But it's like, whatever, that's a choice. But, and maybe that's the guy that they need. That's the woman they need to find. But most women these days, it's like, you know, it's 50, 50, you know, you gotta, you, if you want trust, you gotta trust, you know. Mm -hmm. Isn't it a little strange though, that like all of the women that wharf, is around throughout TNG and Deep Space Nine, all are just these really fun, free, you know, living individuals. Uh, like even his mom, like Miss mm -hmm. Ruzhenko, was all like bubbly and fun and cool on the Enterprise and good to go, and like all of them. And yet he's so just, I don't know, a fuddy-duddy. I don't know. It's, it's just it's weird. Such, it's such an interesting point because if you look at, I mean, I know Kayla was half Klingon, but she, you know, she did reject a lot of Klingon culture. So she wasn't like Lady Grilka, you know, mm -hmm. full-on Klingon. And Dax actually points out, so, you know, how would you know? Uh, I've spent more time around Klingons than you ever have. Worf, he has a, he has a type. He goes for non-Klingon women and then expects them to be his version of what yes. Klingon should be. So Worf doesn't have the courage, oh, he'd kill me for saying that, um, to be around real Klingon cultures because he himself wouldn't measure up mm. to that. So that comes with a lot of psychological baggage 
that Worf doesn't feel clinged off and clinged on enough personally. So he will go for a non-Klingon woman to then to try and bring them up to his standard. Well, and he's just damaged. Yeah. Well, no, it, it, I just, you know, if you want to call it it, he's controlling and manipulative. And unfortunately he can't, to your point, he can't control a real female, a real Klingon female because, and even Kalar was really, you know, she was really headstrong, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, and we've seen other full Klingon women being, you know, very, you know, they, they might be in the relationship, but they, they're very dominant in the relationship as well. Worf wants to rule over somebody and that, and he, when he tries to mold all of his women that way. Mm. So there's the, I mean, leaping into Voyager, there's the story in uh, the episode where Belana and Tom get married, Drive, where Belana tells Neelix the story of her grandmother has a Klingon phrase called Mokta, which means bad match. And she was trying to weigh up our, her and Tom a bad match, which we know because mm. we love that relationship. So, I mean, Amy, you've just been very reflective, though, on your personal experiences, you know, in terms of Mokta, I myself, I'm I'm coming across quite preachy in this episode. And to reflect, I haven't always been this kind of emotionally intelligent. 20 years ago, my first partner and I, I was horrible. I was very controlling, very possessive. Um, and quite naturally and quite rightly, he left me. And I was in a horrible state. But even, you know, certain things like aspects of behaviors and personality I, you know he he was a smoker uh first thing i did when we got together as well well you must give that up i'm not going out with a smoker the reality is i shouldn't have gone for a smoker if i was that passionate about not being in a relationship with someone who smokes cigarettes i should have restricted my kind of pool of men to those who don't but just little things like that trying to manipulate and change behaviors to mold someone into what i wanted so maybe i'm down on war for a lot because i'm actually down on myself for past mm. transgressions so i know there will be people who love Worf and are probably quite uh, horrified at the way i am demonizing him but yeah it comes from places with me as well that of uh, where i've not been the perfect person we might put a, need to put a Worf disclaimer out on this episode that, you know, people <laughs> might, if you love Worf, don't listen to this one. Worf has um, some great episodes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think to summarize what you just said, though, Calvin, is, you know, it, my adage and what I've learned, you know, and this is what, I mean, it's great for you to talk about who you were then and who you are now. It goes right back to my, we grow and we learn and we become different people mm-hmm. and everything informs who we are. But if your attitude in a relationship is I'll change them, you don't need to be in that relationship if you can't accept somebody from who they are going in then fundamentally you're the one that's flawed so you need to not not be there and honestly it has a lot to do with why i'm still single because i'm at that point in life where it's like i'm looking for somebody who lines up who to what i'm looking for now i'm not willing to settle and i'm not willing and i'm not going to try to change somebody because i've been down that road and it doesn't go anywhere so, mm-hmm. um, but I, I, I'm to that point where I'd just rather be single than if, if, if it's not the right person. And, um, I, I was laughing. There's this meme that's running around, uh, with Linda Evangelista and it says something to the effect of, I just want to sleep alone. I don't want to hear anybody breathing. Oh yes. <laughs> I've seen that. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, Oh, 
Sis, I totally identify. <laughs> Anyways. Um, I am loving this discussion. And my mokta, is that how you say it? Mokta? Yeah. Uh, definitely would be my marriage, uh, should not have gotten married because, uh, I was expecting him to change, uh, way young and known that I was a uh, very religious, uh, Mormon and this guy was not, uh, but, oh my gosh, I can't marry a non-Mormon. So he got baptized in October. We were married in November and three months later, he comes to me and was like, yeah, you know, this whole going to church and not drinking and not smoking, I, I can't live this. And he stopped going to church and picked up drinking and smoking, which I don't really think he ever quit. Um, and it was just like a shock to me. I'm like, what? You, I didn't change you? Um, so it was a very painful process of, I cannot change anyone. And like you, Christos, I... I get to the point where, yeah, if I can't change you, then I shouldn't be going out with you, right? Um, because, and it's that learning process of where you learn about yourself, right? But then I get to the balance of, do I give up too easily? Because I feel like, well, I'm not, I can't change you. So I'm just going to give up. But is there something worth working through to find a compromise because with Jadzia and Warp, there were so many easy ways that they could have compromised their issues on Ryza, but they didn't. Um, and so, well, I guess they did because they actually stayed together, but crystals, I'm going to ask you, like, do we give up too easily because we know the fact that we are not going to change anyone? Yeah, I, I I often question that. Like, did I let go of that too fast, too soon? Mm -hmm. Because I don't have to. I mean, I'm not financially yeah. dependent. I, I can take care of myself. I have a good job. I have good friends. I have good support. I have my Star Trek family. I'm like, I've, I'm busy. So mm -hmm. it's like, <laughs> I feel like some, I, I quite, and sometimes I'll actually, maybe revisit somebody and then oh wait that's why i left that's why i didn't go for it <laughs> but it's a, i do second guess myself sometime amy to your point it, no. I, because i don't have to mark what do you think mark i think for me what i've learned like especially like in this relationship that i've been in now for the past like eight years is that the only thing you can the only person that you can change in the relationship is yourself so you know uh maybe being less reactionary maybe just processing thinking about things um trying to see things from another perspective trying to change yourself to make maybe the other person happy and do trust because trust was brought up in this episode too trust that the other person is doing what they can to make it work on their end. You know what I mean? So there's a little bit of a leap of faith there. You have to sort of uh, to have when you're in a committed long-term relationship with somebody. It's that, okay, I'm, I'm trust, trusting that they're doing their best and trying to do their best for this relationship. And I know that I'm trying and doing my best for, for me and for the relationship. And if it's still not good enough, well, it's, it's, it's not. And then at that point you have to revisit things, but um you know, 
for me, like I have found that uh, that that is what's worked for me and worked for this particular relationship that I'm in. Yeah, yeah. I like the idea of you learn something about yourself from every relationship. So when if you have a breakup, I don't like it when people say, "Well, that was a waste of three years of my life." I, oh, I don't think so. You yeah. always learn something. My next relationship after that toxic one, I went completely the other way. And I was non-reactionary to things. I wouldn't start arguments. I wouldn't be controlling. But that resulted in there was no argument. I would bottle everything up. And we all know what happens when you do that. You get very passive aggressive, you know, with, uh, and you don't address issues and things go stale. And, and that relationship failed just because I was, you know, it's like someone took out my emotion chip. I just didn't really react. So... Mm. A good we're discussion, even a, a good discussion, even a heated one, uh, can be beneficial sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes you just need that. It's like a, if you think about a thunderstorm with like yes. lightning, it's like they say that the lightning actually cleans the oxygen, it cleans the air. It's kind of the same thing. It's like in a relationship, every once in a while, you need the lightning bolts to come down. And then, you know, it clears out the air and everybody can breathe after. So, okay, we've said well, what we needed to say. We can move on. <laughs> And uh, in, in work, I always this it's a this isn't a it, it's a philosophy from Six Sigma, which I use a lot at work. And um, there are four stages to a team formation, and this could be. And I I see this in friend groups, I see this at work. I but it's form, storm, norm, norm, perform. Yeah. So you a lot of times you have to get you have to go through that rough patch and kind of learn really who everybody is and get on the same page and then things normalize and then the team really starts to perform and you know and yeah. I, I love that kelvin's heard it before oh I actually, i've been on all of these I was, model I was well <laughs> you know it's like you know and you're right there's there's always it's always the you know flavor of the week with these things but i always it's funny i always try to take a little something i mean that might have been a hundred page book but there was one page that spoke to yeah. me and I, I, I take a walk away from that. So we've all had our relationship counseling uh, for the week. Yeah. And so in, in, in perfect balance, I'm going to kind of just finish with topic three here of was Worf right? You know, have, maybe the ends don't justify the means, like you said, Christos. He definitely yeah. should have been court-martialed for what he did. But was Worf right in terms of has the Federation gone soft? were the essentialists kind of on the right track but obviously just went about it very wrong um do I, were all the federation children uh burying the head in the sand when really they should have been paying attention to the borg ship that was on its way to earth in the same year and the pending dominion assault and the klingon war that they were right in the middle of is it a time for yeah. a holiday now, I think this is where fundamentally the episode falls short because this doesn't make sense. If everything else, when you, when you leave and you just delete this episode, where do you see the Federation soft? We're on heightened alert, the Gem Hadar. We've had the Borg conflict going on for years. Earth just had their whole big, you know, the, the changeling scare. Everything's at high alert and running high tents. Like people are ready. 
Yeah, and 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 rise is just a vacation planet. If you went to Earth and tried to make this analogy, maybe you'd have an episode if you could show it. But you go to the vacation planet where people are just at for you know a couple of days at a time and try to say because there's a because you have a ring. It's like going to Walt Disney World and saying we've gone south, United States. <laughs> it doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. And I think this is one of the this is why this episode fails so bad because it's being forced so hard to try to make a story where we, I can't believe as a viewer, that that what you're even saying, I don't see it. I just thought about South Florida, to be honest. I thought about Miami. I thought about the, the weird sort of uh, juxtaposition of having, you know, so many Republicans, you know, invest in Florida. And then, you know, there's Miami and Key West and all these fun party places. Yet, you know, in their backyard is all these, you know, Republican zealots, uh, religious zealots and stuff that are just, you know, trying to condemn everything about that whole part of the country. So, yeah. I don't know. That's and, what was on my mind while watching the episode. Mm, I, I like that. But, you know, and maybe it goes back to, uh, oh, good. What's his name here? Um uh, Pascal Fullerton, whatever his name is. I just remember him from being um, from Santa Barbara. Um, you know, half the time, these people who speak the loudest are the ones doing exactly all the things that they're preaching against. You know, you, Mark, you mentioned politicians. How many politicians get busted? How many politicians scream about the gays and you find out they're on grinder? And, you know, like... <laughs> And it's it's true. I mean, the people who scream the loudest are usually the ones who are doing it themselves. And Amy has something to add to that. <laughs> yeah, just real quick. There's this TikTok or whatever reel or whatever that's going around where it's like, okay, is this NBA or NFL? And they go through like terrible things. So many um, got arrested in this. So many indecent did it. So many inappropriate relationships. Like they go through all these things and this guy's like, oh, well, that's got to be the NBA. Oh, that's the NFL. Um, no, it's the uh, Senate and Congress men yeah. serving our country. Like this is not, you know, you, oh, the sports players, they're going to do this debauchery things, but we hold our congressmen and senators to such high standards that they would never do anything like that. No, it was all them disgusting. Yep. Well, getting back to what you were asking, Kelvin, about how's the Federation gone soft? I think it's wrong of the essentialists or is that what they are um yeah. to be going to a soft place and saying oh you're soft um well duh that is the purpose of rise it this is a vacation we talked about it at the top of the episode this is not a place where people you know can sustain and live and da, da, da. like it's a temporary thing so to come in no dominion is gonna attack rise first right? No Romulan's going to come and attack Ryza first. It doesn't, there's no, it's not strategic. It's not, it's not strategic at all. So you're coming in saying, Oh, you guys are soft. Um, yeah, that's the point of this planet. And to Christos's point, if you look at the episodes surrounding this, no, they're, you know, amping up. Like this is not a soft time and the Federation has not gone soft. And I'm really surprised that Worf took the bait because wasn't it Julian and Jadzia that was like, did, did he just insult us? And it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, you did. And to the point, 
uh, Worf did wrong. You can't sabotage against a Federation planet and not have any consequences. Like that is totally illogical. And his if then statement um, has led me and inspired me that I am going to be doing an a Amy's math moments for our patrons soon on this logical statement of if then. And I'm really yeah. excited to do that. Yeah. The fundamental flaw here is that it's not believable that Worf would become so radicalized so fast. That kind of thought. I mean, yes, it does. So there's something to it that appeals to him when he gets handed the iPad in the beginning. But to get to the point that he's willing to sabotage and go against law and order and the oath he took to the Federation, it's not, it's too fat. I mean, you would need to spread this out over several episodes oh, to believe that he would be willing to go to terroristic, that he would yeah. go to terroristic activity to get his point across. But is that actually what happened with Worf? Was Worf not so affected by what's going on with him and Jadzia? And this was an opportunity to bring the holiday to an end and to kind of well, you know, to uh, assert control again. He, he is effectively a terrorist in this episode. And yeah. that's very hard. That's very direct, but it's true. And yeah. how do you how how do you go from a commander in the Federation on shore leave with you you got your oath to the Federation? How many times have we seen him throw people like he's he's literally head of security on the Enterprise and whatnot? That is his job is to uphold the law to quickly become the guy who's breaking it, and then there's no consequence at the end. That's yeah. this it's it it suspends disbelief and it's fundamentally which makes this episode one of DS9's worst episodes. Well, I think you said it right. Worf is a terrorist in the Federation here at this point and in his relationship with Jadzia. He's trying to force her to do something that she doesn't want to do. I think yeah. I just I think I just got our episode art all figured out, guys. It needs to be like a picture of Worf with a wanted sign terrorist and you know. <laughs> yeah. Mark Mark, there you gonna, go. <laughs> we're definitely gonna get some uh, comments on that well, some of these views, might, aren't we? A little marketing um, there for you guys. <laughs> I I feel in terms of the question, has the Federation gone soft? Everything, you know, I, I'm a by by profession, a risk assessor. That's my work in health and safety. And risk perception, if if we were if we didn't do something because we were afraid of a consequence, then you wouldn't get out of bed in the morning and you wouldn't live. You know, there would always be some something can always go wrong. So if you're overly risk averse, like Fullerton and the essentialist saying, how dare you down tools and have a holiday? You should be on alert constantly because an attack might happen. Then that is like the extreme of being completely risk averse. So, yeah, you you are allowed to have downtime. You are allowed to recharge your batteries because you can't be on red alert, quite literally, all the time. Otherwise, you know, it's like lower decks with them, when they take away the buffer time, everyone would go mad because you can't get everything done. So, yeah, I think we're all in agreement there. The Federation has not gone soft and far from it. So what do we think about some assimilations and regenerations for the episode? Uh, I do like Jazia calling out Worf's bullshit. I think that deserves an assimilation. Yeah, totally. Very good. Totally. I, I agree. Yeah. And I, I will assimilate. I don't think it's here in some of the ones that are, have been pointed out. Um, 
I I like that we got a little bit of Worf backstory to explain why he's cautious, why he's so reserved. I mean, I feel like it's pigeonholed into the script to make it there, but it does help understand Worf overall, why mm-hmm. he is not fully embraced the Klingon. I am totally on board with this Bajoran separation ritual. And that needs to be practiced. And I think from here on out, whenever I get into a relationship, I'm going to say, listen, at the end, we are going to do this if there is an end. And I'm going to make them promise me to do that because that, because you're right, you learn in a relationship. And I want to be dating someone who has the maturity, emotional maturity to recognize the good, leave on good terms and be done with it. Like that just, I want that in all of my relationships. I feel like I've actually done that with a couple of the past ones. Yeah. Breakup sex. Congratulations. We're going to have a little meeting where we break up very peacefully. And I tell you, we're breaking up because you talk with your mouth full. But there's breakup sex, right? Is that what we're all agreeing on? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I feel like there's things, you know. It's it's actually quite... It's a, little, it's a little bit European, you know. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, uh, like the, I like the retcon that they did in this episode with uh, Curzon's death, and they said death by Jamaharon. I just yes. love that Arandis basically shagged Curzon to death. <laughs> yeah. um, Brilliant. I'm going to go with um, loving the Riza effect on Star Trek conventions. And, you know, there's always a Riza party on the Star Trek cruise and people love to edit, like, you know, some of the gaze in space things we've been to and had the whole, the guys dressed up as Riza and the girls too. And, and I kind of think of that as like, Hey, if I'm going to like, like one of my favorite places to go to is Puerto Vallarta. And that's kind of like very rising into me. So, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. so yes, very, it's, it's, it's kind of adopted itself into our fandom culture. It's a culture, it. yeah. Yeah. We did get a little bit of uh, LGBTQI representation in this episode, which was very sparse back then. So the kind of the, the, the jealousy scene with Worf um, when he was seeing uh, Arandis and Jadzia together in the pottery. Um, yeah, you know, not very happy that these two women were supposedly being quite intimate. It wasn't intimate. They were playing with pottery, let's face it, with clay. I wonder if they got some pointers from Demi Moore and Patrick Swayze. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Very, not even 10 years later. Right. So, regenerations. Um, Where are we on this? Well, I think we spent the last 45 minutes talking about regenerations, but... uh... Well, here's one. When Julian asked the essentialist leader, you know, they were talking and Julian leans over and is like, does he really believe what he's saying? Oh, I'm sorry. You don't have a Troy on your show to answer that question. Just saying. Uh, I miss Troy. We we need an empath. Yeah, we do. I'm curious to know if anyone picks up on this scene. So the the scene at the very beginning where they're in the replimat with Captain Sisko and Odo. It didn't seem like it was written for Odo. Now, I know Odo was a humanoid at this point. He'd had his shape-shifting took away from him. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe that explains, explains him sat there drinking a coffee. But he just seemed too happy, gossipy. Mm-hmm. I feel that scene was written for Kira. And because Nanar was 
ha- literally having the baby while this episode was uh, being filmed. Oh. I yeah. think they switched it out to Odo, and yeah, it just so didn't fit. We've seen that before, like at the end of Picard, where we feel like two Vox lines were meant for Janeway. Yes. You know, and it, you know, I get exactly what you're saying here. And you know what? I, I watched this episode this morning and I thought it was weird that Odo and Cisco were sitting around having a coffee shooting the shit. It yeah. felt weird. I literally had that thought to, and I'm glad you have this in here because, and you're right. Um, Nana Visitor gave birth right no, no, right in the middle of this episode and Siddig apologizes basically. I'm reading, I've read the DS9 companion. His head was not in the game this whole filming of this episode he's he wanted to be with nana the whole time and he was kind of forced to be on set and he is, his head was not in the game in the making of this episode by his own admission but um, i think that comes across in the acting and that actually helps the performance because while he's there he's supposed to be distracted by all of these sights and all these pleasures so it kind of works that he'd be a little distracted yeah but yeah um, i guess so but um yeah it was definitely a little bit uh some of the circumstances of this episode are, are a little weird. This episode always stands. I like the episodes where you don't get scenes on the bridge. I think they're always quite special episodes. Uh, so we had uh, Family in Next Gen. We had someone to watch over me in Voyager. And here there's no scene in Ops. You know, there's very little on Deep Space Nine. There's just the replimat scene at the beginning and the... Yeah. Uh, and the launch bay for the shuttle bay uh, for the yeah. runabouts. But yeah, I there's always... no no O'Brien, no Kira, no Jake. It's it's very light on the the, the normal yeah. content. I always find it a little funny when at the conventions and whatnot, and the actors get up there and they talk about, oh, they're eighteen hour days for like you know twenty six weeks, and it's but there are literally full episodes like this one where say like, I bet you, I bet you. Um, Avery Brooks worked a half a day on this episode, maybe, and probably had more time off. And well, we know why why um, you know Nana's not there, and that was work in itself. But <laughs> O'Brien, Jake, I mean, there's whole episodes that you know on TNG that Troy's in one scene, Beverly's in one scene, and so it's like, yeah, you guys got some breaks in there too. <laughs> well, you know. I didn't know that Nana was having a child and that um, Sadig was, you know, you must work. I mean, that doesn't hold up well. I mean, men have a right to be at the birth, you know, that is sexist and that was wrong back then. And I'm glad things are changing now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they are changing whatnot, but it's also that that's almost like that's Hollywood, right? I mean, I mean, people must go on. The show must go on. I mean, um, and and kudos to some of these women. I think um, Nana, Gates McFadden, and Roxanne Dawson have all been pregnant while filming. And I mean, if you and and working right up until the end too. So I give them a lot of credit for you know some of the things that must have been much harder to be you know nine months pregnant and say the host and and still have to pull those love scenes off. For example, for Gates and 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 Nana worked right up until this episode, and so did you know like I said. We all get to see some nice uniforms or nice big jackets, but yeah. yeah other than that, they're they're still doing their job. And uh, shout out to Sonequa as well. She was also included in the uh, pregnant actors list. Okay, yes. let's uh, let's head over to some trivia for the episode. Mark, do you want to start us off? Yes. Uh, 
Nana Visitor gave birth to her son Django on 16th of the 16th of September 1996 during the filming of this episode. Hence her absence. So that is something that we discussed. Uh, but something I noticed while watching this episode is that uh, Lita, uh, who's Bajoran, um, it has a very similar sort of cropped hairstyle as Nana. Like they look, especially in the same color hair. I was like, ah, they do look kind of similar. And he was paired with her. And I just found that kind of interesting but anyway yeah. that was a side note i love lita's yeah. hair in this episode i think it looked amazing um yeah okay um this episode was directed by renee abergenois and i will just read you a little quote here from the star trek companion ds9 quote it was not my happiest time as a director end quote so in the scene where Worf walks in on lita and her rising companion in the purple mesh tank top Lita was originally naked in a bathtub. I did not know that Trek would have done this. This is evident in the original 30-second promotional spot available on StarTrek.com. Chase Masterson said in an interview, We originally shot the scene on a closed set with very little clothing. Then, and I'll never, never forget this day, I got called into Rick Berman's office and he told me, we have to reshoot the massage scene because it's too sexy for Star Trek. So Rick Berman pulled the plug on that. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kind of almost lends with that last one too. It does. Um, we've got uh, some interesting, although be it quite cryptic trivia here, that it was filmed on a Malibu beach this episode, and there was some production problems because Terry Farrell isn't able to spend prolonged periods in direct sunlight, um, whether that is some kind of medical condition or just part of, you know, her personal preference as an actress uh, and, and former model as well. Um, the producers forgot to bring a shelter for Terry to stand under for the scene. So Renee himself had to go out and hunt one down and put it together himself uh, to protect his castmate from the sun. And I yeah, think and that is really sweet, but also quite shambolic for the production. Yeah, well, and, and, to, and to go a little further into that, Renee went on to say, even though I'd mentioned it at the production meetings, so I personally was running around building a tent that she could stand under so we could shoot her scenes. Yeah, so in the eyes of Robert Hewitt Wolf and Ira Stephen Bear, the main reason the episode failed was because of restrictions placed upon how they would be about sexuality. This was a show that was supposed to be examining sex, but it wasn't allowed to actually show any sex. As Wolf explains, kids watch the show and in some markets it airs at five o'clock. That meant we couldn't show skin, so there was no sex. It became a totally asexual show. And once that happened, the whole thing got flushed down the toilet because none of it made sense anymore. Interesting. Well, what a way it, to end and sum up. It just made well, it sanitized Riser. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's true because like the inspiration for this episode was um, the writers been they were discussing the themes of a uh, play by Eugene O'Neill called A Moon for the Misbegotten, a play that in which the characters allow drunkenness, sex, and religious fervor to carry them through to tragic endings. So that was what 
literally led to this episode being written. And then to what Amy just read there, you had to abandon all of it because of it being a family show airing at 5 p.m. It's like it was the wrong content for Star mm-hmm. Trek or, or the rules that were. I mean, this probably would get made now. But mm-hmm. if they wanted to, the, the original story could get made now, but not in not in the late 90s. Absolutely. So, you know, considering this and weighing this episode in our theme as shore leave, what are some of our final thoughts? Do we think this episode did a good job of shore leave in comparison to the episode shore leave two days and two nights and where you do? Uh, so what do we think? Christos, do you want to start us off? I, yeah, I'll keep it short and sweet. Like I, I know, and um, and given, and in terms of the other episodes that we have followed on this, I would probably pick um, uh, Wage Douche as my as my favorite. Wonderful. How about you, Mark? Needed more quark. <laughs> <laughs> quark That's how rescue. I feel about this episode. Yeah. There was too much heaviness to this episode. Uh, the religious zealots were uncomfortable. I don't know. Just This is definitely one of those ones that when it's coming up on my watch list, I kind of skip over most of the time because it's just very icky. I'm not, yeah. I'm not that into it. But if it had more quirk, it'd be a pretty cool episode. I want to see the Umox. Yeah. Mark, this, this episode made me even want to see those really unseen scenes that were filmed for Insurrection in which quirk goes to... Uh, the Baku planet, and he wants to open up a resort there. That was that was literally uh, fil- filmed, and we've never seen it um, for, no. for insurrection. But it, <laughs> this is the quirk I would imagine in those scenes, trying yes. to be there. Final thoughts for you, Amy? Gosh, there are a lot going through my head. Um, and I was just thinking, we didn't even talk about the quirk scenes. Like he's like, all right. And he gets a girl on each arm and she automatically goes to rub his ear. You know how that annoys the crap out of me. I'm like, um, oh, so the first time you meet someone, you're going to go and rub his. <clears throat> no, I won't say that. Have you so... been to a gay bar, Amy? <laughs> <laughs> She's never been in a dark room. That's for sure. <laughs> Okay. All right. Fair point. Fair point. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, hmm, maybe I might have to rethink that. Um, but we do get to see a lot of different activities going on Risa in this, right? We've got, and I was thinking, who are these people that live here and are willing to just live in the moment every single second? Like that's pretty darn amazing. I, I couldn't do it. It, that for me, Risa is temporary, and then I got to get back to real life. Sort of experienced it a little bit. Like, what do I do with myself since I retired? And I'm like, yeah, I got to get back to work a little bit. So it, it's interesting watching this episode where I am in my life right now. Um, that I find this is really connected. So this is my favorite shore leave episode that we've covered so far because Ooh. of this discussion that we've had. Wonderful. Uh, and just to finish us off with me, I, I would go for two days and two nights from Enterprise. I think it did a much better job of showing, you know, lads on a holiday, what they want, go and go to a nightclub, pick up a couple of girls. Hoshi had a holiday romance. Archer had all the holiday experience of going to the beach and the nice restaurants and the lovely apartments and then obviously <laughs> the, the crazy woman. Um, but yeah, I think that was a much rounded, more... It made Riser look like somewhere I wanted to visit. This episode, it made it look really boring. It mm. far from being a pleasure planet, 
it looked like some kind of kids' resort. What shows are on BQN, you ask? Well, here's a rundown of some podcasts you might be interested in. All Good Things, a Star Trek Universe podcast covering all of Trek, hosted by Amy, Mark, Christos, and Kelvin. Bargain Bin Gamer, a YouTube show hosted by Davey, a self-proclaimed gamer who specializes in reviewing and showcasing affordable video games. If you're lost in the Delta Quadrant, check out The Captain's Couch, a Star Trek Voyager podcast hosted by Jeremiah sitting on Janeway's ready room couch. Cinema Z, a film discussion and review podcast showcasing films you probably missed but should definitely check out. Hosted by Mark, Matt, and Laz. Beam aboard the Galaxy Class, a Star Trek Next Generation podcast covering all of TNG. Hosted by Amy, Joe, Rhea, and Kevin. History with the Zilagis, a snippet of historical events from around the world. Hosted by Chrissy and Jason. For the newest Trek coverage, check out Infinite Diversity. Hosted by Chrissy and Thad. Test your Trek knowledge with Trexperts Quiz, a Star Trek quiz show hosted and written by Davey. Union Federation, covering all things Star Trek and the Orville, which we all know is really a Star Trek show. Hosted by Kyle, Kevin, Amy, and Haley. Spill the tea with What's the Tea, Bev? A Trek current events and fan interview show hosted by Christos. And for our Patreon members, we have The Hive Mind, BQN's monthly roundtable discussion with hosts and listeners. It's Green, a cornucopia of topics, hosted by Mark. And Amy's Math Moments, a quick look at math moments in Star Trek, hosted by Amy. We know you have a choice of podcasts to choose from, and we thank you for listening to BQN. Assimilate the audio. <laughs> Mark, do you want to tell the listeners where we're going next week to get them ready for some homework? Do I? Uh, well, we are going to be continuing with our Evolution of a Species series. This is going to be part two, and we are going to focus this time on the enigmatic Q uh, slash Trelane, which, you know, I guess in canon now, um, they are the same. So, well, according to the books. So we'll go with that. So we've got to watch a lot of Q episodes over the course of the week then. That's a, that's a big piece of homework for us, let alone the <laughs> listeners. Yay, and to. I've read a lot of those books, the Q Squared and the Q Continuum, the, the trilogy. So I'm excited about this. Fat. We would love to hear what you thought of today's episode and hope you'll join our Facebook group, the BQN Collective, to continue our discussion there. You can also reach us at All Good Pod on Blue Sky. Make sure you follow the network on Blue Sky and Instagram at BQN Podcasts. We've partnered with our friends at Fandom Podcast Network, where you can find us by searching the Master Feed. So, Amy, where can people find you when you're not very calmly discussing the Bajoran Acts of Separation? Well, when I'm not doing that, and I definitely will be in the future, uh, you can find me here in the network where I am also co-hosting Union Federation. 
Uh, and I am on that Twitter X place at Miss Amy Nelson, but my favorite place on Facebook, BQN Collective. So find us there. And Mark, where can people find you when you aren't deliberately destroying the atmosphere? No, 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 not a good I one. I know for you me. would never do that. You no, want it always sunshiny and bright. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that would not be me. I'm also not uh conservative <laughs> at all no this amy that's i would i would insist on a redo but we're running out of time so i will just go with it um so yeah i'm definitely not doing that uh people can find me in the bqn collective facebook group people can find me on cinema z that's the podcast i do uh with some good friends where we talk about uh, all kinds of different types of films uh, we just covered uh, Dune, which was insanely popular, uh, and we have so many downloads for that one episode, and it's not even been a week old yet. Uh, so if you haven't checked it out already, check it out. Uh, you can also find me on Blue Sky at MW207. And Christos, where can people find you when you are not going to one of those, I don't know, clothing optional beaches? Uh, you can find me uh, on Facebook at the BQN Collective. You can find me on most socials at Greek Geek SD. Um, and all, all around. Uh, Kelvin, where can people find you when you're not in a dark room in some club in Rice? I mean, Sitges. <laughs> well, finding me in a dark room would be quite a task in itself. That's the entire point of a dark room. Uh, but when I'm not in a dark room, uh, you can find me on the socials at Kelvin's Timeline uh, or in Facebook World at the BQN Collective Facebook group. Please hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a star rating and a written review. That helps others to find the show. You can also follow the entire network's podcast with our master feed by searching BQN. At this time, we really want to thank our dear associate producers, Mahendran Radhakrishnan and Tim Cooper. A special thanks to Graham Kelly for our opening and closing music and Mark for our artwork each and every week. If you would like to help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week, you too can become a patron of the network on Patreon. We we'll add you to the Hive Mind Facebook group so you can enjoy its screen, Amy's Math Moments, and other network perks. With a monthly subscription of $5 or more, you can join our meetings on the Hive Mind Roundtable discussion on the second Saturday of each month. Visit patreon.com forward slash BQN to get all the details and watch your messages. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us as we search out. All good things. <laughs>